0: This is the Goalkeeper Roundtable, hosted by Dr. Bill Steffen, with co-hosts Jeff Shook, Dave LaTourette, and George Costellos. Welcome back to the Goalkeeper Roundtable. In Episode 9, we open up a discussion on the often overlooked topic of Goalkeeper-Specific Fitness Well-rounded goalkeeper fitness often supports the process of making big saves in key moments, keeps our goalkeepers less prone to injury, and provides a level of confidence otherwise not present with less fit goalkeepers. We only touch on a handful of concepts and hope to revisit this in the future. Let's get episode 9 rolling with Dr. Bill, GK, Shooky, and Lotto.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. wherever you are. Um, welcome to the goalkeeper roundtable um, I'm Bill Stefan, and this is the round table, uh, crew. Um, I think we kind of got started a little bit part of this just because we got so interested in fitness for <laughs> goalkeeping that we yeah, we actually started our conversation, so we're going to uh, retread some material but um I think that you know goalkeeper fitness is a very unique thing. The goalkeepers themselves are unique people and the task is unique, uh, but the fitness demands for a goalkeeper and the training to establish that fitness are very unique and very special. And there's a lot of schools of thought. So we just want to hopefully today touch on a lot of these schools of thought and share some ideas. Um, you know, we're open to ideas. So if anybody has any brilliant ideas, by all means, share them uh, with us. <laughs> but we'll go over just kind of like what our backgrounds and our history and experience has done in terms of uh, training goalkeeper fitness. Okay. So having opened it up like that, fellas, um, anything from, from you all just before we get
0: going. Shirky, what do you got? What's going on in Michigan?
2: Um, I guess things have not gotten any better in the last week. <laughs> um, we're still in the holding pattern. Of uh, training players in a team environment, but not training groups or definitely not scrimmaging or playing games yet. And doesn't look like we can even see a light at the end of the tunnel quite yet. So keeping our fingers crossed and hoping for the best.
0: Georgie, what's uh what's going on with, with you? I know you're just you're coming in from uh, just doing a little well bit fellas, of a. Little
2: camp. Uh, I,
3: uh... Today was the start of uh,
0: camp, yeah, got the
3: camp started, Uh, 12 goalkeepers, uh, working with one of my former goalkeepers, so I'm super proud of uh, Vanessa phillips Boss, women's goalkeeper coach over at University of Connecticut, so uh, it was great to see her, and uh, again, just uh, working with some young youth goalkeepers, and again, tough day for them, so I think this will tie in, because uh, certainly with those youngsters, um, training effectively in the heat is, is a challenge. So a big part of it was just getting them to, to persevere and again, had a lot of fun with it and uh, look forward to sharing.
0: Yeah. Just yeah. like Shiki, not much new going on and going on in California. We're on that proverbial yellow light right now. And actually we have uh we have a, a little meeting with our staff, our staff today. This is from the club standpoint, because some of the coaches I don't think quite are getting the how to distance their kids within their groups and transition groups and field. So we, we just don't want to get shut down. So anyway, so that's that's where we are. And as far as goalkeeper fitness, I think um, Billy and I come from a similar um, thought process, different but similar. I, I would bet. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because I think there's a lot of value here, not just physically. Everyone thinks physically, but it leads to a good psychological wellness when our goalkeepers are fit and strong and etc.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I always will tell goalkeepers in terms of their fitness is that, you know, if a, if a, if a forward says, you know what, I'm really, I'm really tired, I'm not, I'm not going to make this run, I'll make the next run. They'll do that to pace themselves. But a goalkeeper doesn't have that luxury. It's not like, I'm really tired. I'm not going to die for that shot. I'll, I'll go after the next one. No, no, no. You, the position demands full effort all the time at every attempt. And I think... Um, as a goalkeeper, you can't ever have your technique fail due to fatigue. Um, you need your technique, and you need it 100%, 100% of the time. Um, and so I think that's one of the – again, my mentality when training and developing my level of fitness is always that. And I think I've shared that with goalkeepers, and goalkeepers seem to be in agreement with that uh, the position demands it. So um, there is a need for it. Um, we're going to start off by talking about pressure training. And we're not going to turn this into a uh, – a catalog of pressure training drills but rather we'll I'll describe kind of like the overall nature of uh, or design of a pressure training exercise um, and basically it's around 45 seconds of constant savings up and down you know high ball down high ball down that kind of thing um, so it's a lot of up and down motion um, some pounding is is throughout goes on throughout this is this is It could be a number of collapsed dives or dives within the 45 seconds. Um, And it is generally to fatigue and try and wear the goalkeeper out uh, so that the technique fails. Obviously, the goalkeeper doesn't want the technique to fail. So they're trying to maintain and establish uh, correct technique throughout the 45 seconds. If the goalkeeper applies themselves maximally, then from the 30-second point on, it gets difficult. And that's the whole point. Uh, Lotto alluded to earlier, the, the psychological benefits. Um, I'm a big believer in the psychological benefits of uh, pressure training because, again, it, it pushes the goalkeeper to a point where around the 30-second mark, your fuel substance change, the, the legs start to go, especially if you're doing 100% effort. And once you can get past that, that's a tremendous breakthrough psychologically for the goalkeeper to realize that I can keep going, I can keep performing when my body doesn't want to. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, overall, I think that's um, kind of like if I had to sum up pressure training value in uh, you know thirty seconds, that would probably be it. Um, other ideas, again, I don't want to cloud everybody with my perspective on it, but other ideas about other thoughts about pressure training.
0: Yeah, I'll start and just I'll keep it short because I know Jeff and, and George are going to have stuff too. And one of the things that, and I say this because I have seen it within my young goalkeepers. Again, I haven't seen my college goalkeepers and haven't been able to see them train or train them. Um, but with, I say youth, but this, this expands, let's say 10 to 17 years old. We're, we've been doing some training. We've been able to do it within the club format. And I have one goalkeeper who came back to training last week. I haven't seen him in six months and we're doing some stuff and he goes, he mentioned how it it seemed easy. I go, don't worry, we'll, we'll, get there. This is the first 20 minutes of an hour. And it's, you know, first 20 minutes is technical. Uh, it shouldn't be super difficult. We want high quality. And we moved into some exercises that were basically you work for 30 seconds transition. Your partner works for 30. We create a new exercise. We go again. And as soon as it got to that level, it got really difficult for him. 30 seconds, not even 45 Billy. So 30 seconds, you all of a sudden the effort changed after about 20 seconds, start dropping balls, can't strike a ball. And so my whole takeaway is that the more fit that we are, the, the, the better we hold our technique together, which, so if we're in the 70th, 80th, 90th minute, and we're fatigued, and I always ask them, and, and they're good, even my 12 year olds, they'll, I'll say, what happens to us when we get tired? And they all start saying, we make mistakes, coach. There, and that's, yeah. and that's, that's where I'm going with it, Just and I'll let the other guys take their, their other <laughs> points. So the whole point is is the, the more fit we are, A, there's some confidence that's involved there, but the more fit we are, the less mistakes we make um,
2: in theory. Yeah. I think one thing that we have to, to consider before we get too deep into pressure training um, on the overall topic of goalkeeping fitness is we can never get to that point if our younger goalkeepers don't have the core athleticism, that would be balance, coordination, strength, flexibility. So I'm not no one here is telling anybody to take their nine and ten year olds out there and stress this environment. I, I would I would lean towards working on things that make them complete athletes. So when they get to an age where this would be a consideration, they're not only capable of it, but they can thrive in this environment.
1: Yeah, good point. Point well taken, Jeff um and yeah, I, I and dealing with a little bit more experienced goalkeepers
3: george go ahead what you got yeah no i think what's really important is again i, I think you got to know your clientele and you know jeff hit, hit the nail on the head there in regards to those youngsters and again i i believe in pressure training and and the psychological value but the fitness value as well but uh at the same time um i think there there needs to be some modifications i think for some of those youngsters it's you know, you would need to obviously change the amount of time. Um, you may have to simplify some exercises, but I do believe that there needs to be that challenge because I really think that some people reach that breaking point and they're very quick to stop because it is getting uncomfortable. So for me, I think you need to introduce it to those uh, youth goalkeepers but maybe you adjust the, the length of time so that they can feel the challenge, but also gain that value of success too. And I think Lotto touched on a key, key point. You know when you start breaking down, you're gonna start dropping balls and I don't wanna teach bad habits. So I think there's that fine line where you know, again, you gotta know that clientele and, and uh, again, I just think you gotta make some adjustments at times.
1: Now, George, I think that's a good point, and I want to kind of like expand on that a little bit. It's just I think, as I kind of was alluding to earlier, is that you want the, the goalkeeper to know, here's where you're really going to get tired. Here's where you're going to fail mm. and get past that now. Get past that. Mm. So you can't do that initially, and I agree with you, your point, George, about a younger goalkeeper. We want to train them. Yeah, this is what it's like to be tired, okay, mm. and now be successful past that. Work through that. Work past that. Um, okay, good, good. Um, a couple things with, with pressure training. I think, um, again, if, if a coach is using it and I was to say, okay, you're using pressure training, that's great. I think that's a good choice. Um, you know, we'll, I'll, I'm just going to kind of like – I've had this talk with other goalkeeper coaches and the things I'll usually say is like, make sure you progress the right direction. Um, make sure you do kind of like solo work where it's just a goalkeeper and a ball. Progress to where it's um, both partners are working. And then progress to where there's a server and a and a worker, uh, a trainer. And so I think progressing in that manner is a good thing. I think the other thing to be aware of is try not to make exercise after exercise consistently pounding the ground. Um, you know, if you do a, a a diving exercise, then the next exercise should be a high ball exercise. Then the next exercise should be a breakaway exercise. Then maybe return to a diving exercise. Um, because again, if if you just re- The repetitive motion of pounding yourself on the ground and the repetitive motion of rising back up uh, is going to fatigue those systems dramatically without any uh, break from that movement pattern. Um, So again, just to kind of throwing out ideas for the goalkeepers and the goalkeeper coaches listening in, I'd say plan out a goalkeeping session. And I know when I would be uh, doing this with college goalkeepers or running a soccer plus camp, um, I would always Look at, okay. I'm going to do four exercises or so. Here's the four. And I would make sure that there was no, not two exercises in a row, but two techniques in a row, I guess is the best way to put it. So that we, if we do a collapsed dive exercise, the next exercise is definitely not collapsed dive. The exercise after that is not collapsed dive. Then maybe we can return to collapsed dive um, and that mentality. So, again, fellas, other ideas, other thoughts for for coaches going to use uh, pressure training? A lot of
0: yeah, um, it, it made me think of, and I have, it, this maybe a little bit more of an advanced skill. And, I, and it's advanced not because of age, but advanced because of experience. So I have some younger goalkeepers, let's say that between 10 and 17, some 13 and 14 year olds that understand this concept now. So like we'll be doing exercises and it might build, might just be as simple as um, goalkeeper set. Um, save a collapsed ball, get back up to a set shape, set position, collapse the other side. It doesn't matter what the exercise is, but that's the concept. So they're getting back to a a central location, and then they're saving a ball to the other side. So the idea, so what most goalkeepers are going to do is take that save. When they're on the ground, they're going to serve it back to the person that's serving them the ball, the coach, the other goalkeeper. Get up, get set, go the other direction. So it happens really, really quick. And then I'll ask them to do the same exercise, but I want them to control the tempo. And the goalkeeper that understands what I mean by controlling the tempo is, and I said, what can you do? Um, one of my older goalkeepers, Martin, is getting this now and he's, 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 he's improving great, greatly. So when I say control the tempo, so instead of taking the ball, saving it, your collapse to the ground, instead of serving it back to the server immediately, reload with the ball in your hands, come back to the central location, then toss the the ball back to the server, which allows the goalkeeper to get maybe one or two seconds of, quote, rest. It's an active recovery, uh, and then they go the opposite direction. But the idea is that I want them to have the concept of how they can control the tempo of an exercise to control the tempo of the game. Um, But for me, this came for me, I remember doing pressure training with Tony, is I would always find these micro rest periods how how does one second become a rest? But over 45 seconds, if you're doing 30 repetitions, one second or a half a second of rest, where I, as a goalkeeper, you can collect yourself in a very intense moment, uh, I find it's is, is really helpful if you can teach them how to do that. I'm not sure if that makes sense to you guys, um, but I, I found it very helpful as an athlete to be able to do that uh, in intense moments in a match.
1: Yeah, it's also, I, I think we talked earlier about psychology, it's psychologically, it's a rest.
2: mm mm-hmm. I'm always trying to figure out the why. Why are we trying to do this? And my why in preseason is far different than my why in the middle of a season versus my why at the end of a season. Really so good point. My, my why at the beginning would be pure fitness, get them going again, and may not have any relationship or minimal relationship to functions. But by the end of the season, when we're starting to grind in our pressure training, it always has some sort of function relating to our team. Whether it ends with some sort of distribution or starting the counterattack, like I said, versus the start of the year when we're just grinding away and making sure they're strong and fit and flexible.
0: Yeah, I like that. And partially, Jeff, one thing there as you get towards the end of the season is, can they start distributing the ball and functionally making good decisions when they are tired? Uh, exactly. Which that's huge. You know, again, 80th, 90th minute. <laughs> Um, I've used the example a couple of times, but uh, you know, when I had George as a goalkeeper, we played a game that was 140 something minutes. We'll never see that again. But if you're in the 115th, 110th minute, everybody is a little more tired. Can You make good decisions when you're tired. I think well, also, one of
1: too from yours was also, I'm sorry, George, <laughs> just to right. um, the one key is, can you, back to the controlling the tempo kind of thing is, um, you know, if you're going from one ball to the next ball. Make sure you're just not flopping over automatically, but you're returning to a set. So don't do the drill. Do the technique. And now we are trying to do the technique fast. So improve the speed of the technique. But don't just do the drill. Don't just, from, from the ground, immediately get up and flop over on the next side. No. Get up, set, go. Get up, set, go. George, I'm sorry I jumped in, but go ahead. Yeah,
3: no, not at all. And once again, I'm just going to kind of flip it from the youth to the the professional guys that I trained. And again, the way that I looked at it is, can I develop them being competent, doing one action, two actions, three actions effectively? And, you know, again, through the challenge of the activity. So um, as we're all aware, you know, from, from Soccer Plus, you know, you could do pressure training, but also within the goal, and I, that's where I always felt where now you're making it more functional. You got you got the goal behind you. You're now having to do these actions, and again, I think you know, and I, I you know I've seen it where you're seeing goalkeepers. and I think uh, most recently, the guy from uh, Portland, Steve Clark, had to do two back-to-back brilliant, I mean, mm-hmm. dynamic actions. So there is that importance for pressure training at, quote, the elite level, but you do also have to understand what you were talking about, Billy, that wear and tear, and that it's a long season. So there's got to be those moments where you can physically and psychologically challenge them, but at the same time, making those modifications where you're not going to go 45 seconds with the pros. You might go 15 and 20 seconds.
0: Well, that's where we talk about, and I'm, I'm, I think Billy will get there, but we talk about periodizing training across a season, across a week, across, you know, um, a year. And, and that's we have to do that with our goalkeepers too. Mm. Yeah. Um, again, I'm just going
1: to reflect back uh, upon, the. Uh, again, if I'm talking and if there are goalkeeper coaches listening, that it has to be challenging. It has to be really challenging. You have to be pushing the goalkeepers to the point of failure. They need to be on the brink, looking over the edge, but then being successful to walk out, kind of like an Indiana, was it an Indiana Jones movie where he thinks he's got to walk across a chasm, but it's, it's really painted and he can actually step across. They have to be at that edge and feel like, yeah, you know what, that was really, really hard, and I'm surprised, but I did it. That's the feeling that gives a goalkeeper such strength uh, mentally in terms of their ability to, to perform in goal and not have, you know, setbacks distract them or so forth. Um, good. Okay. Well, from there, um, we can kind of segue a little bit off of what you, you mentioned Lotto. Again, I brought up um, some sprint work and I've used sprint work with goalkeepers. If you're going to use sprint work with goalkeepers, you, you know, we, we don't want goalkeepers running one twenties. Um, we want goalkeepers to do some sprint work, but if we do make it functional, and making the, the sprint work functional. So when I would do uh, a sprint work program, and I discussed this with the, uh, these fellows beforehand, um, the idea was uh, it was always back to the goal and touch the crossbar. Because I said, well, when does a goalkeeper really sprint? When using a goalkeeper sprint more than two strides? Well, when they have to get back to the crossbar, yeah. So I would make everything sprinting back to the crossbar in different formats. And so I do things like that. So I think if you were going to include uh, a sprinting Activity sprinting work for your goalkeepers to spare their bodies because again this will be taxing, but not the impact. You, you're lessening the impact uh, for your goalkeepers. So I think the value in that is uh, you, again you get some sprint work in, you get some functional. You can challenge your goalkeeper and maintain their fitness, um, and at the same time you are training them and they understand. Yes, this is this is I can see where this would apply to a game. So I'll kind of like throw that open and say, we've segued a little bit. We're transitioning from pressure training or other kind of, excuse me, ideas for fitness do we have for our goalkeepers?
2: Um, Myself, this is one thing I've got from uh, one of the people who I'm lucky to work with on a weekly basis who works with Gain Athletic and Vern Gambetta is Greg Thompson. And he's brought in a couple tools That looks strange to begin with, but sandbags, and they're weighted warrior clubs, and you're, you're doing a lot of work with the wrist, elbows, and shoulder joints. When we start talking about goalkeepers and injuries, we can play through a nicked up ankle or a pulled quad or something, but once we injure a wrist, elbow, or shoulder, we're on the bench, So he's brought all these tools in to put goalkeepers into dynamic activities with those joints in the upper body to keep them strong, flexible, and durable throughout the course of not just a season but for their career.
1: Good, good. I like I like dynamic movement. I like training with that. Um, I'm always interested in I don't know new toys, new ideas. Um, So that's good. Um, That but that actually prompted me to think about um, and again. Some of us have, you know, been with Soccer Plus where they always would bring out um, a med soccer ball, which you could actually volley back and forth. I think they weighed five pounds, um, and that was just tremendous um, for goalkeeping. Because, again, if you don't catch correctly, and I volley that ball at you, if you don't catch correctly, you're going to kiss that ball. And that's not what you want to be doing, Uh, not with a five-pound ball coming at face to you. But it was very good for reinforcing technique and strengthening, because, again, after you Uh, have volleyed a a med ball back and forth you drop that out get a regular ball it feels like a ping pong ball and that's very psychologically uplifting I remember Carla Chin used to use them in warm-ups with Notre Dame goalkeepers and I understood the mentality I I didn't but I understood her idea was like now the kids feel like the ball is so light. it's it's like I'm playing with a half a ball it was very uh, I thought she used it and I, I understood the mentality and I appreciated that
0: I, I think the, the – I'm not sure, and uh, everyone can let me know what they're seeing, but I feel like I see less and less of the use of that med ball. And we're talking med balls; It's a quick goal. I still have a couple of them. I bought some new ones. I bought them for our college kids. I gave one to my club kid. I go, this has to come to training every week. Don't leave it at the field. Don't leave it at home. Leave it in your bag. He got one week before he left it on the field, and I sent him a picture. I said, you made it one week, Martine. <laughs> anyway, but I think – We talked about, I don't know if it was Tracy talked about it or, uh, you know, I don't really remember, but talked about our athletes now not being very good at actually throwing a ball, sling throwing a ball. Um, And for our older goalkeepers, you can use the med ball for that. But one thing I really like for it is doing all your sort of simplistic catching exercise or abdominal exercise, basic handling Mm -hmm. uh, with the med ball and a for this for what you said bill is that you know they if they if they if they mishandle it it's going to hit them in the face and you don't want to get hit in the face with a, with a med ball um, you know and these again these aren't 10 pound med balls they're functional um they bounce uh they're the shape of a soccer ball um the, the ones i have are bright yellow and but for for me like that not so much the hands because i don't really talk about catching with your hands i think we catch with our shoulders so i think the you know the teaching cues that I use in my goalkeepers is early hands absorb with your shoulders. So we're really catch with our shoulders. So uh, bicep strength, tricep strength, uh, shoulder strength to continually catch with that med ball. And if we do it repetitively, it's amazing how strong we get and how resilient we get. And I was introduced to it before before my senior year of college. And we use them every day at Soccer Plus Camp. so every demo that we were doing, that we were doing pressure training, and if we, we did basic pressure training exercises, we, as a staff, we use med balls, if I remember right. You know, So um, I think if it's consistently done and used correctly, the med ball, uh, I'd love to see that come back into goalkeeper uh, coaching and, uh, and teachings more than we're seeing it right now.
3: Another variable, guys, that I've uh, experienced, and, and it's very similar to, in, in many ways, the med ball, but it's actually the weighted vest. And again, for basic handling. So now that you're 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 adding weight to the body, and now can you still effectively move? Can you still continue to maintain your athletic stance? And and again, I think there's uh, you got to figure out your clientele and. You know, obviously the the core strength is is a massive part of it, but just like the med ball, after working out with the weighted vest, you take that vest off, and now you're like, oh my god, I can move, I can move quickly, I feel faster. And again, there's that psychological component. So um, again, just just another tool. I wouldn't spend, um, you know, I I wouldn't use it effectively all the time, but. I think for certainly preseason. Um, and again, just uh, to kind of get that mentality uh going. And again, once you use it, take it off, the confidence, the mobility aspect increases.
1: Uh George, interesting you measure uh a weighted vest, but Lotto, you'll be wearing you know where I'm going with this with the guy, John Cronin from New Zealand, who spent some time talking about who is into wearable resistance now. Uh we could go into the math and the biomechanics of it, but it's much lighter weight, but it Velcros onto compression gear. And so it doesn't weigh as much, but it is much more functional. It doesn't like, again, I've, I've used the weighted vest, you know, as you run, it kind of bounces around you. This is like clinging tightly to you and wearable resistance, I think has got a big future. I'm not going to, Segue off into a big discussion here of it, but I'll send you the material George and anybody who wants can email and I'll send them uh, Some information, but I've had a chance to actually meet with John Cronin in New Zealand and maybe in the future We could talk a little bit about wearable resistance because I think it's it's taking what you're talking about George But making it even better. It's really really a good idea. I think it
3: Um, Sounds better because it's form-fitting. Absolutely. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and again, the idea is it's compression gear so you know, you strap it on, strap much lighter weight, 200, 400, 600 grams, and then you can just immediately take it off, and now you can play. You don't need to, you know, get out of the whole vest and so forth.
0: And when Billy says you, you take it off, he, you don't have to take the compression gear off. You just oh, no, 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 no. You I mean, just, yeah, correct, You just correct, pull correct, the just. pieces that have Velcroed on <laughs> off. It's um, yeah. it's it's actually an interesting concept, and um, I, I, as soon as I saw it, Bill sent me the presentation, I – My mind started spinning a
2: little bit on
1: that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's another good segue into uh, plyometrics. I'm a big believer in plyometrics. Um, They're very beneficial. And again, back in the day, as the kids say, (laughs) um, I could jump. I could jump. Um, And I think plyometrics really helped me in two ways. One, um, develop that jump even farther, getting my vertical even farther. But also, as I would go from off-season to pre-season, that enabled me to recover my strength and my, my vertical jump, which is so crucial for goalkeeping, very, very quickly. Um, and a plyometric, just so we're aware, a plyometric involves an eccentric contraction uh, that's extended and a little bit of a strain on the muscle, and then a constant contraction that follows that. Um, and I would encourage anybody to just go to, like, YouTube and Google, um, uh, Jimmy Radcliffe, Jim James Radcliffe uh, and plyometrics because Jim was at the University of Oregon when I was there and he and I had some very good discussions about plyometrics. He's kind of like, he and this, uh, an Asian fellow, Lang, I think it is, uh, would like kind of like the fathers of plyometrics in the U.S. And I think plyometrics are very good. You know, again, a lot of people will be familiar with box jumping and things like that. And box jumping is fine, but you really don't need it. As long as you do bounding and, uh, and so such, that's very, Beneficial as, as box jumping and box jumping, anything over 18 inches also increases the risk of injury. Uh, I wouldn't say dramatically, but substantially. And so I would just be careful with uh, gimmicks such as a box jump and things like that. A box jumping is great, but at the same time, just be careful with it. But any sort of um, plyometric exercise, again, especially on the female side, vertical jump is crucial. And so any way we can use to develop that and strengthen and um, benefit our goalkeepers through this, I think is, is really crucial. So uh, again, I've had a lot of experience with, with uh, plyometrics. I've got a routine that I developed with a fellow from uh, Plattsburgh, and um, it was really beneficial to me. I've used it with the college goalkeepers I've worked with. Um, I've used it in a camp setting. There are some funny stories about that, um, as with most things in camp setting. but. Um, I've I've been very enthusiastic about plyometrics. So again, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know, fellows' response thoughts to to plyos.
0: I think Bill, as well as the vertical jump component to it, which I'm especially as a smaller goalkeeper. I think Billy, how tall are you? Six foot. Uh,
1: just under about five eleven.
0: Yeah, so Jeff is Jeff is the 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 Albatross in the group. Um, <laughs> the, so all of us, the three under sixty. Well, it's 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 the three, <laughs> midgets, three midgets and the giant. But it, it became. I wish I put more emphasis on it earlier in my playing career, or I had just had more knowledge of it to be honest with you. Than I probably would have applied it. But it became a thing for me, probably junior, senior year of college. And, and I started to see my vertical go from like 22, 23 to post-collegiate. I got all the way up to 30 inch vertical. Um, and it was, I was doing it consistently and dynamically, but I, it, I mean, I couldn't hold it there for very long. As soon as I stopped doing the exercises, stopped playing a little bit, it just went, it just dropped, especially as I started running more and getting into endurance stuff. It just, it disappeared. And um, so that that's the one thing and the other, the other thing mainly is not only does it help with just general vertical, but how, how do we apply it? So for goalkeeping is not only how high we jump, how, how quick we get off our feet, um, yeah, how, quick contact, that movement, how quick that contact, movement yeah. happens in ground contact. I work on that with runners. We want to reduce ground contact time. Well, we want to do the same thing with goalkeepers. Uh, so that's a, a big part of it. And George, George is going to bring up jump roping. I know it. <laughs> well, well,
3: well, there you go. I, I, I think it starts with the fundamentals, and again, you, you need to train your goalkeepers to have quick feet. So, uh, certainly a, a fan of the jump rope. Um, yeah, fortunate yeah. that during my time, uh, physical education was very skill based. So I was introduced to jump rope and quite young, and again saw the importance in it. But also being a smaller goalkeeper. Um, you know, five, ten on a good day. Uh, I needed to be explosive. I needed to play bigger, and and I think that's something that I took pride in. Is that being a smaller goalkeeper, I still played big. But again, the introduction to the introduction to plyometrics was was I mean just fascinating to me. And Billy, I'm gonna owe a lot of it to you and into Soccer Plus because again, during my youth development. Okay. You know, I was I was involved with regional teams, national teams, so it wasn't like I was able to go to camps. So, but I worked camps, and it was there at Soccer Plus where you had that sequence of uh, ten plyometric jumps. Yeah, um, ten. 10 you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So
1: eighteen and back, just a variety of exercise. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But uh, but to kind of bring it back to the to to kind of the training aspect again, I. Uh, from a periodization standpoint, you know I, th- I think once you get your your hands on your guys and you've really developed a solid base, that's when you can start to I- increase the variables in, in regards to the the height of the hurdle or the height of the jump and I think those aspects when you start to you know i I like what you said, Billy. I'm not a fan of gimmicks, but I like to have use. Some of those tools, like a six-inch hurdle or a 12-inch hurdle, because again, I think there's a coordination aspect. There's the there's the plyometric aspect, the ability to to, to land correctly. I think once you start to get into these big staples or these massive, uh, you know, jumps in a row, it can be detrimental. So again, fan plyometrics, but again, I, I think you also need to. Understand your clientele. You can't have a nine-year-old go over, you know, a massive staple. They might go under it, but not over. <laughs>
2: it. I'm, not, I'm not sure where these fit in if you consider plyometrics, but I do some mini-tramp work where our keepers are jumping onto a mini-tramp and then landing from a higher position, then taking off on another jump, and then we do quite a bit of work with our senior goalkeepers. I don't know if you'd call it a bungee cord or a resistance band around the waist, um, getting into some activities to give resistance um, and strength. And uh, I'd call it just general well being for their strength. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Good, good. Uh, well, part uh, of the
0: plyometric and build references part of the plyometric is not just the jumping, but there's a landing component. Yeah. The absorption <laughs> and the <laughs> eccentric contraction. Yeah. Just uh, stole my thunder there, Lotto.
3: Because that's that's the part, I think, which uh, I would say people tend to forget, the importance of uh, landing effectively.
1: Yeah. Um, good, good. Uh, so we have some ideas. Again, we're, we're speaking broadly and not providing specific details. And if anybody wants specific details, contact us. We'll give you, you know, I got documents of all this stuff. Um, I'm sure everyone else does as well. Um, from here, we also wanted to touch a little bit, and I think... Um, I mentioned this when I, when I talked to the fellows beforehand, a little bit more about some ideas um, regarding uh, uh, fueling and resting. And I'm just going to touch base first on resting because, again, as I, as I have aged, I have uh, appreciated the amount of time recovery takes. And one of the things that I used to do to benefit that's very simple, simple everybody can do it, is after a really hard workout, lay on the bed, put your feet up on the wall above you and keep it there. Keep your feet there for at least 10 minutes um, and allow just the natural gravity uh, flow to reduce some of the fluid that's collected through all the muscle work that's gone on in your legs. And that's that was something that I always appreciated is just, uh, you know, getting my legs up, getting off my legs. And I think one of the th- big things, again, especially if you're training with uh, goalkeepers of, younger ages, they are very active and they are doing things all the time. And if you just put them through a very, very uh, intense workout on their legs and they're going to go stand around with their friends, it's not going to aid their recovery. So, again, depending on the situation, if they're young and they are doing these things because they're young, that's fine. But if they're at a point where they are committing to a certain program, if it's a a preseason for a college team, um, getting their legs up and not in a directly vertical position um, is is a huge benefit. And that's a simple thing that, as I said, anybody can do. 10, 15, 20 minutes if you can, get your legs up. Um, Fellas, any other quick, easy recovery ideas?
2: For me, always, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, Shiki,
0: go for it, go for it, Shiki.
2: What I was gonna say, this is the one I deal with with the biggest problem with youth players. Um, We don't have this issue with our USL guys. Um, because soccer is their job, but our youth players don't get enough sleep. That's they where I was coming they to. Are. They're burning the candle at both ends. They're going straight from school. Chances are not getting a proper meal before they come to training. They train hard. They head home. They do whatever social media stuff they're doing, then hit the books, and then they're not in bed till after midnight. Then they're back up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and repeating the cycle without ever giving their body or their mind a chance to, re- to, to sort of recharge. And then when we start to wonder where are these injuries coming from, we start to trace it back to this is what's going on in their life and they're not preparing themselves to perform at a high level for a sustained time. So for me, the kids and the young players need to get a proper amount of sleep.
0: Yeah, I think – and that's where I was going to go, Jeff, Is and that was a big thing for me, and, and it seems to be – it i will say worse than it's than it's ever been and now we're starting to see more people say oh get sleep but no one tells you how to get sleep no one tells you how to schedule sleep and my my opinion is this and this this is going to lean more towards the high performing athlete so let's say someone who's in high school trying to improve themselves to, to move on to a higher level college etc cetera, etc cetera. And and it can be used at younger levels. Parents can use this. Coaches can use this. And and I use it with our, and I've only used it with our college players. And I shouldn't say that. I've used it with a high school uh, girls team that I've consulted with as well. And the biggest thing is, is, coach, I don't have a lot of time. I said, you really think you don't have a lot of time? Okay, let's do this. Um, And I've done this. I do this as part of an exercise with our our men's team, our college team. I go, what does everybody have 168 of? Uh, It's one of the, one, two kids are like, oh, that's hours in a week. Okay, you have 168 hours in a week. Let's do an exercise and figure out where your 168 hours go. And when we start to break it down, all of a sudden kids just go, holy crap, there's three hours in the day that I, I waste. Like I, I don't know where I waste it. I go, FIFA, social media, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever whatever it is. But they're, they're, that's where it goes. And I said, if you want to make an investment in your fitness, in your recovery of your fitness, then we have to find sleep. So my whole idea is schedule your sleep first because let's get eight hours, minimum eight hours, especially for younger, these younger athletes, get eight hours minimum, schedule nine, whatever it is, and then build everything out from there. So let's say every night you wanna be in bed by 10 and you're gonna get up at seven, there's your nine hours. Well, if you're serious, you can figure out a way to do it. And I have a sheet and if anyone wants the spreadsheet, uh, I call it the 168-hour spreadsheet. It basically has an hour block every day for seven days a week. And what our athletes do is they'll go in and punch in all the all the stuff that they know that they do, whether it's commute, whether it's work, whether it's train, whether. It's, and there's just these huge gaps of time. They're like, holy shit! You know, I've I've got a, you know, I've got to figure you know, figure this out. I've used it for myself and it's been very beneficial for me, but our players look at it and the kids that use it and they use it effectively. It's unbelievable. One girl who I sat in front of at at, uh, the high school team that I was working with, she says, I don't have time for eight hours. I go, I guarantee you, you have time for eight hours. And we sat down she goes, Oh, I have time for nine hours. (laughs) Yes, you do. So there's, there's, there's my rant. Uh, Well, I have an observation that I think is,
3: is, is something that, Ties into it as well in regards to your recovery, uh, Billy. Is that even though there's tremendous more resources and and the sciences are a lot better than when when we were playing, you know, sleep is certainly a massive factor for the youngsters, uh, and especially the 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 college age athletes. But uh, nutrition—if you're not if you're not getting enough rest—and they're complaining about time—I also feel that nutrition plays a factor in why. Athletes are getting more injured because you need to fuel yourself properly. So, I think part of it is the nutrition. Um, from, a, from a youth standpoint, I think another, um, I would say, problem, or I would say maybe it's a little bit of an oversight, is actually scheduling in a proper cool down. Um, you'll find that most kids after training, they just want to bail, they just want to get in the car and go, they just want to leave where again, when I'm at the professional level, you know, these guys, it's their job. They're they're highly motivated. They're going to do everything possible from, from when it comes to a, a cool down and a recovery to the ice baths. And we're, we're, we're feeding them information in regards to the nutrition. But I really feel like the, the youngsters um, and obviously the college age kids struggle, even though at the college level, what I've observed is you're getting the foam rollers. You're getting the bands, and it's becoming a part of their routine. But you're still finding that uh, kids uh, or, or players um, taking it for granted, or maybe not taking it as professionally enough.
1: Yeah, one thing I'll throw out and again. This is a uh, this is much very much, I guess, facility driven. Um, But later on in in my career, I realized the uh, value of water recovery. Um, And then I was reading and I read that time in water is actually better than rest in terms of recovery for your legs. And so, if you have the facilities, again, now we're probably talking a little bit more advanced age, you know, and, and so on, with the facilities to do so, to spend the time of not really doing that much in a pool, even if it's just hanging on the side and fluttering your legs or walking in the pool. That will aid just through the the lack of weight on the legs plus the actual flow of the blood through the legs with the uh water around it actually just helps very much in terms of recovery. so there's a lot of different ideas we could do lot you got something to add to yeah, that e-
0: exactly that, and that's part of the protocol i've I've given to some coaches, some youth coaches they go, hey, Dave, we go to tournaments, we play." Th- ridiculously three games in two days, whatever it is, yeah. you're overnight. like, what, what can we do? And, I, and so I'll just give them a really basic sort of fueling refueling. Um, you know, they can't make the kids, but can they provide the kids some sort of recovery beverage or food immediately after where they ha- they can't take off. You have to take 30 minutes with them. They have to consume it, whatever it is, chocolate milks, uh, basic sports drinks work um a bar, I mean whatever fruit, any anything that where you can get glycogen stores to come back up. So that's the first thing. Address the 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 fueling and to the point where when you know you're playing a tournament, there I consider a, a fueling period before the game, halftime. Uh, they I don't care if they're not hungry, make them eat half a banana, make them eat a banana, make them have some Gatorade, make them whatever they it's important. Maybe they don't need the energy quote for the game, but it's going to help the recovery processes, keeping glycogen stores high. Uh, and then post-match. But the second thing I said is, how many of you guys, when you go to matches or to tournaments, stay at at hotels that have a pool? 95% of the time, they have a pool they're like, well, it's not a big pool coach. I don't care if it's three feet deep and those kids can get in it and walk for 15 minutes. You need to take your entire team. And even if it's in groups of six, put them in the pool and and to have them just walk and do some basic hip openers, um, just, just to move because the combination of a, the movement, but Bill alluded to it, the, the pressure of the water being underwater is very similar. If not, better than like compression gear obviously you're not wearing it for hours but there's a big value in that so coaches that are out there if you if you're serious about helping the kids recover simple nutritional plan or see nutritional but fueling recovery plan and then active recovery um in a hotel pool it works perfectly fine and it needs to be an active they need to move uh, we take our guys that play 60 or plus more minutes in our college matches and if we're at home First place that we go to is the pool. The group that played low minutes, they do extra training, and that's that's non-negotiable.
2: And I think you're right there, Dave. I don't even think you have to have the hotel pool. Um, a few years back when I was with a junior college team, uh, the junior college national championship is unforgiving. You yes. have to win five games in seven days. It's ridiculous. Um, we're, we're there in the middle of West Virginia. We called the local YMCA, let them know what was going on, and they were more than happy to have us come in there. The guys sort of felt like rock star treatment, walking <laughs> around the pool, everybody pointing, asking what's going on. Um, but our ability to sustain the level that we needed um, to get as far as we did, we didn't win the whole thing. Uh, but we got furthered, I think, because of our you know, care and prevention, um, going into the pool, just trying to go out. Out there and call local businesses who are more than happy to help you if you care about your players. Agreed. Yeah. That's a good point. Good,
1: good. Um, we've touched on a lot of different topics with this, and I think the the one thing that we George alluded to it, and Lado talked a little bit about it is, but but it's fueling. And I think um, again, I have unique circumstances now. When I was playing, I wasn't diabetic. I'm diabetic now, um, and I'm type one, so I'm insulin dependent, and I understand. Uh, The nature of, you know, a lot of talk about glycogen loading and things like that. And one thing that I would caution um, players to do is to don't start the Gatorade, you know, 45 minutes to half an hour before the contest. You'll have an instant reaction. And what that will do is actually drop your sugars potentially to lower what they were before you had the Gatorade. So if you're going to do Gatorade before a game, it's got to be like on the way, you know, as you are walking onto the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, It should be within three minutes of playing. If you have it prior to that, your body uh, will will promote insulin, uh, and the insulin will take that and will kick your sugar your your uh, sugar levels lower. So just be careful with that. Same thing for halftime. You know, if you've got a fifteen minute halftime and you come off the field and have Gatorade, you're you're actually going to lower your sugars when you start the second half. Um, I would save that I would first get water in and then perhaps some Gatorade, right, again, right before you get onto the field again, um, just to promote that. Um, it's uh, I, I will sometimes mention, um, at North Carolina, they used to have what they called the candy bag on the bench, because, yeah, oh exactly. yeah, gotta keep sugar's <laughs> high, gotta keep sugar's high, so they would go to the, some, you know, store, and just like all the different bins of candy, just throw as much different candy into a bag, and it would go up and down the bench the entire game, and, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we want our sugar. I know you don't. You just want to eat candy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the reality is you just need to be careful in how you do that. Again, uh, a lot of you also adjust this, but just to reinforce, immediately afterwards, get some glycogen, get some glucose into you immediately after the game, the sooner the better uh, because the absorption, you can actually supersaturate uh, the glycogen into your muscle system by getting it in early. Um, you know, anything you can do to get, you know, Gatorade to your kids, you know, chocolate milk is actually a little bit better because, again, you've got some more protein there. Um, Get it to your kids after the game, then do so. And I think people are getting more, 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 more smart, smarter (laughs) uh, about the idea. But I think that's something that we we touched upon. You know, many coaches will know.
0: And it just takes planning. I think that's, that's the big thing, whether you're an athlete or whether, whether you're a coach, it takes planning. And, you know, it's even from the college standpoint at really higher level programs, the coaches maybe don't have to think about it other than to say, Hey, let's go, let's go take care of our post race, whatever, but the school provides it your uh, sports medicine department provides it. Um, but you know, it just some, you know, bananas, like basic things work, but just plan for it and plan ahead for it. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, find different things for your, for your, for your males or your females. And it, it, everybody doesn't always like the same thing. Like if, you know, if we have yellow Gatorade, all of a sudden half the guys, go, Oh, I don't like yellow Gatorade. I, I want blue Gatorade. I want purple Gatorade. Well, bring your own purple or yellow. And we have kids that have been very functional where they, they bring a, an, an energy gel quote. Um, you know, it's just a, a concentrated gel and yeah. you know, they're like, coach, I, I like these ones. Should I use them? I go, you know, if it's at halftime, take it five minutes before we're going back on the field. Just take, take it with plenty of water, um, that kind of thing. So there's there's a lot of ways to do it. We can help. So let us let us know if you yeah, need it.
1: I think the idea that, that the kids have to like it. Um, yes. You know, telling stories. Also, I'll tell. In North Carolina, you get a lot of gear because companies send you stuff. So Gatorade sent us this thing they called Gator Load. Yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers <laughs> it, but it lasted about, I don't know, three months before Gatorade decided, no, nah, it's any good idea. <laughs> It was, it was like maple syrup. It was that thick. And so after the game, we tried to get the kids to drink Gator Lode. And they just said, no, this is crap. You know, it's not. we're not going to do it. And so they asked Bill Prentice, who was in charge of sports medicine, who used to travel with us, and Bill's the most published author in sports medicine, um, you know, what should we you know, if we really wanted to do this, what should we get for the kids? He says, well, probably should get some O'Douls. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's probably not that good. The university probably wouldn't like pictures of the soccer players after the game on the field stretching, drinking from brown glass bottles. Um, it probably <laughs> isn't the image that we want. So, yeah, we had we couldn't do the O'Douls. But um, just any way that the kids will really – I mean, you can find the nicest sports concoction you want, but if the kids don't drink it, yeah, they have to. The kids have to want it, and that have to be a. They have to have some buy-in on that. Um,
3: Billy, what I wanted uh, to share about that, and and this is what I think is so essential is, you know, obviously, you know, for the youth, you know, players out there. Part of the education process is putting in that foundation, getting them to understand the importance of a warm up, a cool down, you know, what do you do day before the game and, and so on. And, you know, during this, I would say journey as players, I also think it's very unique that they start to figure out what works. I mean, I, I'll, I can tell you a story when, you know, we were going to have a pregame meal and I remember Sasha Swarovski looking at me and being like, George, uh, you're not going to eat? I couldn't eat before games, man. I just couldn't. I wanted to be as light as possible. I mean, I might throw in a banana. I might throw in whatever, a salad, but I physically did not want to eat a big meal. I just refused to eat it. And he, you know, he put faith in that. And I think there's that relationship with coaches that you all, but also the individual athlete needs to know themselves. So I agree with what you're saying. We got to be able to, and I think it's great that we're providing all these resources. Athletes also need to kind of figure out, Hey, these are the things that really work for me. And hopefully um, coaches can be open-minded and, uh, and vice versa. You know, players need to be open-minded because they might be, like, hey, I've always done it this way, but I think, you know, sometimes their way isn't always the best way. we got to keep educating. That's good. Cool.
1: Well, good. That was a good discussion. That was very good. So thanks, fellas. Um, Anything to wrap us up? Anything else? Any of the last?
2: Yeah, i will wrap I'll, it up uh, with a throwback to what George brought up earlier to Steve Clark uh, and throw a, a good luck to Steve this week in the MLS mm-hmm. back final. a great guy to work with an incredible personality and and a great story behind that young man's career
0: cool Cool. and i will i will back george's story about about his the eating thing because we uh we would if we were playing away game and i won't remember specifically if we'd go to boston university uh leave in the morning to play in the afternoon up there we'd get on the bus we'd drive five or ten miles down the road george probably remembers this there was a diner or a breakfast restaurant or something we'd go to and it was (laughs) piles of pancakes for everybody. And I'd sit there and I, and I wasn't a huge pancake person either. So it was like, Georgie, let's have some coffee. Yeah, (laughs) That's all I needed. (laughs) Do me my job my
3: friends. Yeah, no, it was, uh,
0: (laughs) but it was uh, again, it, it, George is right. Figure out what we need, but there's some stuff that we know uh, that works as well
1: leave caffeine for a whole another day. Oh, that's a whole episode, man. That is a whole episode. <laughs> that's, that's a whole episode. Because now yeah. I got science. I'm a big diet cook, but now I got science on my side. Yeah. Anyway, but, thank. Um, let's let everybody out of here. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you again.
0: We hope you enjoyed that episode at the Goalkeeper Roundtable. If you'd like to reach out with suggestions, comments, or questions, all of our email addresses are available in the show description. If you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe to it, but also share it in social media platforms or with any other goalkeeper or coach who may find value in it. We hope you turn in to the next goalkeeper roundtable.